Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 105, recorded July 12, 2013, Limitless Love. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight a very, very simple message. And yet it is possibly the most profound message that I have and will ever give. And um, it is from John 1, John, the first epistle of John, chapter 4. And in verse 16, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God is love. I, I feel constrained to share this with you because we live in strange days. Uh, we live in days where the word God seems to mean just whatever you want that to mean. And in other areas, we are in the presence of persons who use the word God uh, with a definition totally alien to the biblical understanding of God. And what inspired me with a kind of anger is that now in schools in some districts, they are actually teaching that all gods are the same, just by different names. Okay, the most important question you will ever ask is who is God? The most important answer that you will ever receive is the answer to that question. Because the God I worship fashions and sculpts who I am in my whole total being right through to my behavior. And so you actually know a person's God by the way they are acting. Because we actually are drawn into and into the very likeness of the one we worship. And so this has far-reaching expressions. Who is your God? And we read there in one profound, I say, yet the simplest of all sentences, God is love. God, according to the Christian gospel, has made himself known. Let me emphasize that rather simple point. God has made himself known. You see, the human, I'm creature, I am made, and the made cannot look at the maker and define the maker. And the one who is created cannot, with a created brain, understand or define the Creator. No, if ever I am to know God, if ever I am to plumb the depths of who He is, He 
must reveal himself to me. We believe in a self-revelation, a God who reveals himself and says, this is who I am, which, of course, he does that because he loves us and he wants us to know who he is. And we believe he has spoken through the prophets of the Old Testament and supremely and finally he spoke in his son who is God from God limited to our humanity and within our humanity reveals who God truly is Jesus Christ we believe that now when I come to this statement which is as as obvious if you have your Bible open you can see it's the last pages of the New Testament the last pages of the Bible and it, it sums up everything of the Old Testament everything of the New Testament and it sums it up God is love so what what does that mean I think I have told you before I suppose it had quite an impression on me when I was being interviewed uh at one time and um, this lady who was interviewing me she was not getting really why I was uh, found it necessary to have a ministry and to go all over the place telling people and so she she said well what what is it what what is so unique about what you're saying that you would have to do these meetings and things and I, I said I, I believe that God has revealed himself in Jesus and he has shown us God is love. And so I said, I'm, I'm like Johnny Appleseed. I go around the world just planting the seed that God is love and watching that come into being in people's lives. She looked at me for the longest time and then finally she said, how sweet. God is love how sweet no you see what do we mean by that it's not just sentimental sweetness it's not some sort of cosmic niceness god is love is the most powerful the most life-changing the most creative words you will ever hear god is love the very first thing that God is love. Well, what does that tell me about God? It tells me of necessity that God is person. Person. And, and, and let that word sink in. Person. You, hopefully, are person. And, and uh, we, we are just shadows. We, we are ghosts compared with this one who is the infinite, the unlimited person. Maybe it would help you if I I said what that doesn't mean. If God is person, and if God then is personal, it means that he is not force. He, He is not, as that pagan movie Star Wars depicted as the force be with you. No, not at all. We, we don't, as believers, we don't even come near that. We don't even touch it. Our God is limitlessly person, personal. Person. 
um, when I say that he's not false, then you will hear this so many times, especially on public television. Um, they, they talk about you, you talk to the universe, you pray to the universe, pray to the forces. Uh, no, no, our God is person. You do not go to your electrical outlet in your house and say, my electricity loves me. That's, that's daft. Uh, of course, uh, force powers, natural forces, they can't love you. The moment I say the word love, I am coming to person. But let me take it a step further. I I said just a few seconds ago that hopefully you are person. Why did I say hopefully? Uh, Well, you see, person, uh, actually what many people, at least in the West, believe about who I am, you are, would not really come to the definition of person. A person is not just an individual who thinks and talks. Uh, A person is not just a rational individual being. As some of you were taught in school, that's who you are. No, you're not, you see. We, We were made in the image of person. And a person, by definition, is one who is in relationship. Person is a reaching out individual. A person is one giving self to another, communicating and relating. God is love. And love, by definition, means a reaching out, a communicating. Love, another word we could use for love, is relating, giving oneself away in relationship. God is love, then he is person, but I have to then take it one step further, that he is God in relationship. How could that be? How could that be? Who was he relating to? Who was God love relating before creation? When only God was. When nothing else was. Only God. Who was God talking to? Who was God relating to? And that was the revelation that Jesus gave to us which would take us a, a, a long time to go into the detail, but Jesus said that he was God from God, and that God, though indeed one God, yet he, as the Son, spoke to the Father, and said, the Father loves me, and spoke of the Father loving him before creation. And he spoke of yet another who was the one who was the glorifying or the outradiance or the celebrating of the Father and the Son love. And he called that one Holy Spirit. And so there emerges from Jesus that God, one God, yet is love. And therefore three persons... Three persons who are loving, receiving love, giving love, celebrating love. 
You, you could speak of one God, but within that one God is the ultimate family, the ultimate society, love in dynamic movement, relationship. And, and I'm sorry, you, you have to say that, or something like that, if you're going to say God is love because you can't stand in an isolated vacuum and say, I love. Love what? Love whom? Love must reach out. Love, by definition, demands someone who is being loved, and that someone responding, and that love being celebrated. God is love. But then, God is love, is love. Or oh, how many times have I said this to you? The, the day that was the beginning of a revelation that has lasted these last 60 plus years, that God is love. That is, his very being, his essence is love. As it came to me, and as I have told you so many times, it was that God does not have love. That changed my life. God does not have love. He is love. If I were to say to you that I have some water, well, here we have it, some water, you see. And, and, and because I have water, that water possibly will have diminished somewhat by tomorrow. Or it might have increased, um, I have it. Whereas, if I were to say to you looking into this camera, I am water, what? well, we're talking about something else entirely different. God doesn't have a bit of love. God's love doesn't go up and down like the thermometer. He is love. He is what love is in his very essence of this three who are one in this dynamic relationship of love. This is who he is. He cannot be more than he is. Please let this sink in. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. God cannot be more than he is. He is love. That can't be added to. He is it. He cannot be less than he is. I cannot look at an historical reference to what God used to be and was in the good old days. For all that he ever was, he is, and all that he is, he ever shall be. He is love. He is always the limitless fullness of ever giving, receiving love. That's who he is. God is love. Oh, now, now you're getting on some interesting ground. God is love. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is love. God is love. So God is the definition of what love is. Now, I think I, I don't have to explain myself here that in today's world, um, well, the word love is anybody's guess. 
It's up for grabs. Love in many, many people's minds is simply how you happen to feel about a person or a thing. Um, and, and those feelings as they bubble up like the sun rising on an August morning uh, against the mist and the mist is there but when the sun comes the mist is gone and people speak as if they're full of this love mist and I love, I love when did you meet? Oh, you met last night I, I love and of course as soon as the sun comes out they've forgotten who the person was love and where does love begin? where does love end? see I read it was on the newscast, so I'll just leave it at that. But there was a tweet the other day. I, I, I hardly know what a tweet is, but uh, I understood there was a tweet. And it was in response to the United States Supreme Court's decision concerning marriage. And the tweet, very important person tweet, said, Love is love. What? Love is love. So love is defined by love. That is, you can put no boundaries to it. Just this squashy, swampy thing that just invades love is love. No, that is the very pit of actually the satanic lie where you define life and existence by yourself. If I feel it, it's love. No, 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 no. And I might say this to some of my friends who, who would seem to define God by the feelings they're having. No. God defines what love is, for God is love. And why, how does he define it? Oh, very, Love, according to his revelation right from the beginning, the Old Testament revelation of God, love, is that it's covenant love. That's as far from feelings as you can get. Covenant love, yes, of course, it has feelings, um, but covenant love goes to the very heart of a person's existence and says, I give myself to you, I commit myself to you. And actually when they made covenant, they did it by cutting their person, their hands, so the blood would run down and they would say, to the shedding of my blood, even to death itself, I give myself to you. The, the weakest way of saying that is that when God says he defines what love is, it is love with a commitment. It's love with no back door. Covenant love that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That says, I am the Lord, I change not who says nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And when that love gives himself to us, 
and says, I will never leave you. He is also saying in that every purpose I have, every plan I have, all that love has designed and treasured up for you, I'm not leaving you till I do it. He gives himself. And and in, in this, um, he finally revealed himself, as I said a moment ago, in God sending God. God so loved us. See, here again you have the definition of what love is. You, and you probably know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, there you have so loved the world. There's no definition attached there. So he so loved the world. But then he goes on, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There you have it. When I say God so loved, it's not this sweet, sicky, sentimental love is love. That God just loved us. God was nice. No. God so loved the world. What does that mean? It means that he gave his only begotten son. He was saying, I love you even unto death. I love you with the shedding of my blood. That, that, that's love. And Jesus, God... The mystery and the wonder of what we Christians in theology call incarnation. That God himself, God the Son, limited himself, the unlimited limited himself to our humanness. He got inside of us and became one with us, right down to becoming a tiny speck of life in the womb of the Virgin Mary and he grew in her womb in all the limitations of a child in the womb and he was birthed in all the limitations of a babe at her breast and all the limitations of a toddler and a young man and so on God entered into our humanity, looked out through our eyes and heard through our ears. And in his humanity, in his words and in his actions, he revealed finally who God really is. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or what, what's it say in John 1.18? No one has seen God at any time. But this only begotten God has come from the very heart of love to explain him. Or Colossians 1.15, it says that God is the invisible, but out from the invisible came the visible, Jesus, to reveal to us this is what God is like. And I, I might... Um, extend quickly on that, that that he showed God's love, God's, and the word mostly used in the Gospels is compassion. 
which is that strong word which means where your very intestines are in knots as you are moved with, with uh, it's a mixture of anger and love that this is not right and love says I will write it and he healed our sick bodies he made whole our inner persons pronouncing God forgave us of all our sin. In fact, there was nothing untouched by what love did in Jesus. Sometimes people forget God created the material world and he loves his material world. And we forget that God created flesh and organs and nerve endings and ligaments and muscles and loves our bodies. And Jesus showed us that love by healing the sick, casting out devils. He never came up with that religious blasphemy that says God inflicts cancers upon you and heart attacks just to teach you a lesson and what terrible rubbish if Jesus is the revelation of God then all he did was heal the sick speak forgiveness to the broken pick up the pieces of smashed lives and make them whole God is love and he revealed himself and he defined what that love was, this committed love. This love that would never let you go, that went all the way to joining us in the extreme suffering that sin brings and then going all the way into that hideous addition to being human, which is death. That was never intended in creation. Satan brought that in and we said thank you. But Jesus got inside death and in the death of Jesus, death died. And love came out the other end. Still joined one to us humans saying I'll never let you go. I came right into death and I've got you and I'm taking you home to Father. God is love. You see, if I don't understand that, love can mean anything I want it to mean. Um, it's the difference, I might even have said it, but now let me really say it. Here is a river, and the river is flowing in its clear, sparkling waters, and it's a river, and it's running to a goal because it has banks. It is defined. But over there is a swamp. And a swamp has no definition. A swamp pretty well is where it is. And if you noticed at the edge of the swamp, it's filthy. The edge of swamps, they stink. And they're full of foul creatures. That's where you'll find crocodiles and dangerous snakes and a swamp, you see, has no definition. It's just, well, water's water. It just goes where it will. Anything goes. But a river has banks and it goes. 
And God introduces himself to us as the banks of love. This is what love is. It's not a one-night stand. It's not just feeling something about people. It says, I give myself to you. And God took a human body and took the blood of that body and shed it for us. God is love. And if you missed it a few minutes ago, what was love after to unite to us? And that's no surprise if God is love. Love always seeks union. Love always seeks to unite. It's not only a commitment, it's a commitment to bring about union. Relationship to the nth degree. And and love. God created. Why, Why did God create? Suppose I should have asked that earlier. Why, why did God create? If God is complete in himself, the Father, in the love of the Son, the Son, in the love of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the very expression of that love, perfect, complete, wanting nothing, no pressure from an outside, for there is no outside to God. So if he has no need and is complete in himself, and no pressure to make him do anything. Why did God create? Especially, why did God create us, who are going to screw everything up? The only answer that emerges from the Scripture is creation, and you and I, we are because God's love wanted to share beyond himself. It it is possible to describe the Holy Spirit as the ecstasy of God's love. And ecstasy means I'm standing outside myself. And and, and God, in, in his love, willed to create another just like himself, but a creature, who was capable of receiving love and capable of in receiving respond and in receiving revealed that love. And so you and I were created to be loved, to receive love, be filled with love and be the revelators of love within creation. Love created If love created, if specifically God love created, then when you get to the very heart of a blade of grass or a piece of fruit or a flower or human, we we come ultimately to God love. He's the ground of all being. It was love who created. Love is the life of creation. And if we depart that, if, if we try to live outside of that, then we have willfully stepped into unlife or death. I mean, don't think me, any doctor will tell you that if you harbor bitterness, envy, revenge, malice, 
it actually releases into your body an acid substance that burns holes in you. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, if you have compassion, if you are kind, if you forgive, that actually enhances your health, physical health. Isn't that interesting? It's as if it were saying that the life, the basic life of the universe is love. And if you step outside of that in your words or your thoughts or your intentions or your actions, you are going to find death already working inside of you. But of course that's the truth. We were created to be loved. Then sin, if I could say it like this, sin then is defined by love. Because it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin, the word um, could be understood as being without shape or form. That is, you who were created to be fashioned by love, to contain love and reveal love, to relate to love himself. Sin means that you fall short of that. And you, you're, you're missing parts. You're, you're not what you're created to be. You've fallen short of God's glory. God's glory is his love. What did we do then? How did this sin thing work? Read Genesis 3. Satan's insidious temptation was, you shall be as God's. Or to put it in plainer English, turn inward to yourself and you will find in yourself the vast oceans of power and wisdom and knowledge. In yourself is your meaning. You will find in yourself the blueprint for your existence. The lie, the great lie. For when mankind turned inward to himself to discover within himself the meaning and the focus and the center of life, all he found was terrifying darkness and ignorance, and in that darkness totally lost the most magnificent creature in creation sits there and says, Who am I? He doesn't know who he is because he doesn't know who God is anymore. When I talk to children, I try and explain this from the kitchen. And I say, I invent the toaster. And I hold it up and I say, I name you toaster. For that reason I invented you. You shall make toast. You are the toaster. But the toaster receives some silly lie 
that says you are a refrigerator. And at that moment, everything goes into chaos in the toaster who thinks he should be, ought to be, will try to be a refrigerator, but he's not. And so shame overtakes the toaster because he can't keep things cool. You get the picture. God said to his creature, mankind, you are beloved. I created you to love you, to relate to you, to enter into union with you, and you should be a revealer of love in my creation. Our inventor says, thus you are made in my image and my likeness. And Satan came and says, you know what the truth is? You are God. You turn inside yourself and you'll find it all. And the result was chaos and death. So does God throw us out? No, because God is love. And that love will never leave you nor forsake you. He is, is, present tense. God is love. And so he is love, present. He is love, now, just as I am. The way I find myself. God doesn't say he will love me when I get my act together. I get my act together when I accept his love right now. God loves us as we are. I, I hope you can hear me on this. There comes a point in talking about the love of God when even believers feel that God loves too much. But the fact is, God does not hate us. God doesn't hate us. Sometimes we look at ourselves, apart from God, back there looking inside, and we hate ourselves. But God doesn't hate us. God loves us. But we say, and religion echoes everything we say, that we, we're too ugly for God to love us. We cannot love ourselves, and no decent person would love me, and I know my church doesn't love me in the state I am. They've already thrown me out, you see. And, and so we come to this incredible God and the only way I know how to say it strongly enough is that God loves what we call ugly. <laughs> there are verses in the Gospels that it refers much to the culture of the day, so sometimes we miss it. But where it says that Jesus was the friend, the friend of sinners that Jesus sat down and ate with tax collectors and sinners. We get the drift of what that is, but we could never fully understand it. A tax collector was one that the religious leaders of the day had forever damned in hell. They forbade them to come inside their public meetings. They named them publicly from the pulpit to say they could never be saved. 
And, and sinners is a word which means the ungodly, the outside of the reach of the church or whatever. They, they were the especially bad sinners, rotten to the core, you know. And Jesus sat down and ate with them. Well, again, that's culture. Ate. That was a form of covenant. You never, never would you sit down and eat with such people. To eat with them would be declaring to the neighborhood that you were binding yourself to such a person and that you were standing in solidarity with them. You can't do that. You can't do that. Jesus did. It's one reason why they started proceedings for crucifixion. Or when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, and he told it to these tax collectors and sinners. And he, do you remember, he puts the words in the mouth of the prodigal, for Jesus is telling the tale and he puts the words in his mouth saying, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me as your hired servant. That was the self-evaluation of the prodigal and it certainly was the evaluation of anyone else in the neighborhood. And you remember the father doesn't let him even finish the sentence. He cuts him off as he's about to say, make me as your hired servant. And instead he flings his arms around that bag of skin and bones and smelling of never bathing for weeks or months and the stench of the pigs on him. And it says he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And he said, you are my son. Well, do, do you get the message? Do you realize we cannot manipulate God? Can't control him. And this, of course, is the business of religion. Which in its message to the world is that we have to make God love us by giving promises of a new life we're going to live and promises of reformed behaviors and if we do it with enough passion and tears and beating up of ourselves mentally and emotionally then God will love us. We, we make God love us because we promise him we'll do better and of course when we do better and we start to be these kind of better people in the community then of course we not only say that God loves us but we can say that we're not like everybody else and God loves us we're not he doesn't love the others until they get their act together as if we are the ones who make God into a God of love. It's because of who we are that makes God who he is. No! God loves us because of who he is, not because of who you are. He puts his arms around us when maybe no decent human being would. God loves us.
or you could say going back to what this word means um, let, let me put it this way God never falls in love that, that, that is a very unfortunate expression anyway because it, it, it intimates that, that you were taken over that you lost control you slipped on the banana peel you fell into love which is dangerous I mean that that means something came over you feelings took over rationale and and you 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 were no longer operating like a rational human being um God doesn't fall in love for he has no passing feelings he loves us and will never forsake us because that's the way he is that is his essence from the very being of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit comes the word that he refuses to be God without you. Jesus was the announcement that, that God would rather die than be without you. This is the God who is now with you as you listen to my words I'm not speaking theory I'm speaking of the personal God the Father who unbeginningly loves you the Son who entered into our beginningness entered into the pain and the sorrow that we have experienced and sometimes caused entered into our death became our sin and wiped it out crushed Satan under his feet and then walked out of death with a human body the like of which we've never seen or imagined a human body not only deathless but a human body that could not die because he has trashed death under his feet and that God love comes to us in God the Holy Spirit and says this is yours for this he died to give you the Holy Spirit then opens your eyes the Holy Spirit opens your ears the Holy Spirit pours God's love inside of you Holy Spirit is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit embracing you, giving you the divine bear hug, loves you. You don't create God's love. He loves you because that's the way He is. And even if you would describe yourself as ugly, uh, God loves you. You can't, can't make Him love you, but nor can you stop Him loving you. You said, I've gone into a wild and hopeless wilderness. Yes, Jesus said he's like the shepherd that goes into the wilderness to find the sheep that was lost. Comes where we are. He said he's like the woman who goes into the dirt and the dust underneath a sofa, underneath a carpet to find the coin that was lost. He's like that father that ran down the road and scooped up his son in his arms and smothered him in kisses. Yes, you can't make God love you because he loves you. 
out of his own being, not out of your alleged goodness. But you can't stop him. See, again, we've got that idea. I, I did this whatever, and now God doesn't love me. And so, suppose I've got to spend enough time feeling bad about it and, and try and get saved again. You know, did I say it a few weeks ago? The, the little children who, who sit with the flower, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And, and that to me is how many Christians spend their lives going to church to discover where they've landed today. Is it on he loves me or loves me not? No, you can't control God. That's the basis. You can't make him love you, nor can you stop him love you, because he is love. And he loves you with an immovable love. You cannot control him. And that is so threatening. You see, controlling God, saying, do this and he'll love you. Do this and you're out. That, that's the oxygen of religion. And here we, we stand before a God who loves us and refuses to be moved by all our silly little religious attempts. He just says, I love you. And he puts his arms around us and he loves us. And you know that is so threatening, people will flee from that. People have forbidden me to speak in their churches because of that. How do you respond to a God that you can't control? You can't make him love you because he loves you. You can't stop him loving you because he won't leave you. Well, how, how do I respond to that? Suddenly all the formulas and all those conferences you went to to discover the ten ways to control God, you know... All wasted money, wasn't it? Flushed down the toilet. How do you respond to God is love? The only response, you see, which the entire Bible witnesses to, the response is faith. Or maybe a better word for our ears today is trust. I trust in the revelation of God is love that came to us in Jesus. I trust him. I receive his love. And sometimes that sticks on our tongue because all the old religious thoughts of I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough. But trust says I receive that love. I receive that love. And the Holy Spirit comes and witnesses with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. It was for us that Christ died. The earliest mention of this in the scripture, in terms of laying it out, was in Genesis 15, where a verse that's then quoted on in the rest of the Bible, um, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. But the interesting thing about that is that being Genesis, it was written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word there is 
that Abraham said, Amen, Amen. He said the Amen. Amen, you see, is it's not just something we stick at the end of a prayer. Amen is a Hebrew word, and it means that's the way it is. This is the way it will be. It is that leap into the arms of God and says, so be it. This is it. You said it. I take it. I believe it. Or maybe, again, something I've shared in the past, when that virgin of about 13 or 14 years old, Mary, who received the words of the angel, Gabriel, that she would conceive a child without a human father, and that that child would be the son of the Most High, and so on. Uh, the, The words are beyond any human being's comprehension. So what's your response? It's, that's what we're talking about. It was trust. She trusted. She said the amen. But what she actually said maybe spells it out best of all. She said, I mean, having received words, I, I can hardly believe that. I, there's no space in my brain to receive it. That's okay. God said it. And if God says it, God stands behind every word to bring it to pass. If God says he's love, God is love. I can't intellectualize that. I can't think it through. But God is love because God means every word he says. And that was Mary. The angel said, no word of God is void of power. So her response to that was, be it unto me according to your word. I mean, that, that's, be it to me, beyond my comprehension. I, I can't think through the hows, but if you said it, I leap into your arms. I trust you right now. I trust you. Be it unto me, according to your word. And it was so. And if any of you who are listening have had areas of doubt or if you've been one of the persons who sit in the church pew saying he loves me, he loves me not because you're never really sure. And if the Holy Spirit has made this real to you, then be it unto me according to your word relax into what God says of himself relax into the fact he loves you because he is God and that's the way God is be it unto me according to your word now this is not static when I come to that moment of believing I mean we we have almost sort of got to the text it says, what I read at the beginning, 1 John four sixteen. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. Now it goes on, and we don't have time. I'm running to the last second here. Um, but we grow in that love. This isn't something you look back on 40 years ago. 40 years ago, maybe you saw this. But 
every day we grow in that love or as this passage goes on to say we abide in God and God abides in us which means he becomes the house in which we live he becomes the comfortable sofa on which we sprawl he becomes the dining room table guest he's where we live until our way of thinking and our way of uh, how we assess ourselves and how we look out at life it's all within God is love and we grow in that and our trust in him who is love deepens and so the Bible speaks of increasing and abounding in love and this passage that uh, we're looking at further down it speaks of uh, persons being perfected in love which is really an unfortunate term in today's world an understanding of words Uh, the better idea of what that word perfect means is like a perfect apple when it's ready for picking it means maturity it means uh, coming of age so you don't you don't always have got it you've grown in it and now your actions and your words you as a human being are revealing this love you've become one with this so there's a lot to this and we go through life with those words be it unto me according to your word because we cannot a understand this to begin with and we do not know how on earth we can give it away But he who is love reveals himself to us through the Holy Spirit and that same Holy Spirit is the power to give it away. Well, there it is. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that is what real rest in God is. That's the peace of God. That's the joy of the Lord. And I trust that all of us will grow in that knowledge in that trust and become persons who abide in God and God is love and now the blessing of God who is almighty love the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit his blessing remain with you opening the eyes of your understanding flooding you with the light of his love embracing you and in his embrace granting you life and life upon life so i bless you amen that is the way it is Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. This has been another message by Malcolm Smith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including a full catalog, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org.